Good morning. Please join me in prayer. In Psalm 143, David pleads, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. We come to you this morning asking the same thing, that you will hear our prayers and answer us in your goodness. As we all struggle with our own challenges, illnesses, anxiety, and sin. Lord, we pray for the sick and hurting among our church family, in particular for Bill and Cindy Hay and for Lane and Wynn Jones. Provide Bill and Lane with the healing and rest, and we continue to be thankful for Cindy's and Wynn's demonstration of unconditional servant love for their spouses. Give them encouragement and strength as well. We also pray for Tyler O'Connor's dad, Patrick, who was injured in a farming accident this weekend. Provide him healing and recovery and be with the family as they care for him. Lord, we pray for the people of Maui, those that have lost all their physical possessions, and worse yet, those who have lost loved ones. Please provide them with hope through you as they grieve and recover from the devastation. Put it on our hearts to pray for these people and where possible to provide assistance with the resources you've entrusted us with. We pray for our mission partners, George and Laura Hamm, serving as RUF campus ministers at Emory University. As fall classes begin this week, draw students to you, Lord, through, your, through this ministry. Allow their Wednesday night gatherings to thrive and enable rich one-on-one -on -one connections to be made between these students and George and his team. Lord, we're thankful for all you're doing for and through this church body, for the growth, for the energy the people you bring here. May we each prayfully consider how we can connect more deeply and serve alongside others in our church, that we may be active participants and not simply silent observers. Thank you for the marriage conference that took place earlier this weekend, that it will be used as a tool to strengthen marriages that it will allow these couples to move through challenges towards togetherness and to better love each other and honor you. As summer comes to an end and we prepare for fall, it's often a time of busyness and chaos. As we sang earlier in this service, come away from rush and hurry to the stillness of God's peace. As Christians, provide us with a calmness and poise that can only come through you. Give us the faith that de decreases our anxieties the obedience to prioritize you, Lord, and the love in our hearts to show genuine kindness to our neighbors. As we study the book of Galatians this fall in our Sunday school classes, we are once again grateful for your word and the opportunity to really dig into your scripture in order to better understand your gospel and how we can each live it out. Lord, prepare our hearts and minds to learn from your teachings from the Old Testament as Robbie brings us your message as contained in the book of Levit Leviticus. May the Holy Spirit move through us to better understand your plan for us and to be draw, drawn nearer to you through his message. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're slightly more than halfway through the year, 2023, believe it or not. And I have some uh, hot statistics for you, hot off the press. Uh, I got great news for you. Uh, wealth is up in 2023. Isn't that great news? 
And then here's some other news. Along with wealth being up, so is depression, anxiety, loneliness. Isn't that fascinating? I thought money was going to fix all those problems. Wealth is up, but so is anxiety, depression, loneliness, addiction. Here we are uh, beginning our ministry year together, and I want to talk for a minute, give you a lecture uh, about from sociology and psychology for about 25 minutes. You got time for that? It's not, not what I'm going to do today. I'm not going to give you a sociological message. I want to remind you of our simple vision statement. We gather, we grow, and we go in Christ Jesus into all things. Next week, I'll be talking about how and why we go in Christ Jesus in all things. Last week, we talked about the importance of we gather in Christ Jesus. And this week, our focus is on we, we grow in Christ Jesus. And we is one of the most important words in our vision statement. While today I'm not going to give you a, a sociological treatise, I am focused today uh, with you on our growth together in Christ Jesus. Today, I want you to think with me about how it is that we grow together. And in a few minutes, this is a topical sermon, so it's a little different. In a few minutes, I'm going to read our passage for today. Uh, But for a little while, I just want you to think with me about how it is that we grow together. I wonder how many of you can uh, point to the new thing about our sanctuary Anyone, anyone know? Anybody notice the new things? Some people are pointing. I see it already. Yes, some of you. I'll give you a hint. Uh, there's something new in our sanctuary. Uh, this pulpit is the second Sunday that it's been here. Robert Luttrell, one of our members, built it for us. Really thankful for that. I'm thankful for it because it's taller. I'm thankful for it because it's wider. I can spread things out and not uh, be afraid I'm going to lose a part of my notes, whatever. And since it's bigger and impressive, you can expect uh, longer and better sermons. So. <laughs> That's, that's part of the plan. Uh, no, I, I, I can't guarantee you uh, that the sermons will be shorter or longer, and I can't guarantee you that they'll be uh, better from a human perspective. But this pulpit um, does point to something that's a deep value of ours that speaks to how it is that we grow together. Today, we're going to talk about the means of our growth together. We're going to talk about the goal of our growth together, and then we're going to talk about the the mystery of how we are going to grow together. Now, a lot of times we talk about sanctification or growing in grace or growing in holiness or growing in godliness and half the room, well, nine-tenths of the room gets anxious uh, because we feel like we might not be doing it right. Uh, Maybe we're not trying hard enough, but today I want to put you at ease. I'm not really focused on how you're growing spiritually. That really matters. I want you to grow in grace, but today the focus is how we grow in grace, and I want to focus on a primary, a chief means of the way God intends for his people to grow together as his people, um, uh, and that means is his word. So here, I'm not going to read all these passages listed here in your bulletin. If you have your worship guide, it'll help you to turn to page 11 right now, 10 and 11, have that in front of you, and in a minute, we'll flip over. A minute, when a preacher says a minute, he means, you know, in a certain matter of time later on. But um, after a little while, we'll turn and read some more. But right now on page 11, I want you to focus on the means of our growth as as revealed to us in the book of Leviticus. We looked at Leviticus last week 
focusing on how it is that we gather in God's presence through the mediator that God provides. But here I want you to see something that's really, really remarkable. I listed here most of the times that Yahweh called to Moses from the tabernacle and began to speak to Moses, that then Moses would speak to Aaron and his sons, or Yahweh would speak to Moses, and Moses would speak to the children of Israel. And I listed most of them here, but there's actually 20 times when Yahweh addresses his people through Moses, the mediator, at the place of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is frequently referred to as the tent of meeting. The very place God meets with his people, and here's what I want you to see that's emphasized in Leviticus 1 through 19, 20 times. When God meets with his people, he speaks to them. But I want you to remember the context from last week and put it here in Leviticus together. This is quite remarkable. God redeemed his people from Egypt. He took them out of their slavery and bondage and brought them to himself. And then God's people were living in tents. And what did God do? God said, build a tent for me right in the middle of my people. So what we see in Exodus and Leviticus is that God is drawing near to his people. And here's what the book of Leviticus is largely about. Since God has drawn near to his people and all of his holiness and glory and power, now how will his people draw near to him? And that was the focus of last week. But now this is what I want you to see. God has drawn near to his people and has invited his people to draw near to him. And what is it that he does over and over again? He speaks to them. And I want you to know what was true of them now is even more profoundly true of us now. God has rescued us from our sin and shame and brokenness and and idols. He's given us eyes to see. He's drawn us. He's to himself. He's drawn near to us. He's invited us to draw near. And what he does when we gather in his presence is he speaks to us. He speaks to his people. He addresses the whole of our lives. God draws near to us. He invites us to draw near to him and he speaks to us. When we start thinking about God's goals for us, if you're like me, you you can feel kind of anxious. Once again, am I doing it right? Are we doing it right? Am I trying hard enough? Are we trying hard enough? But, but when God often in scripture speaks about the growth that he wants to give his people, he uses images like this. You are God's field. How good of a farmer is God? And so his word is a seed and the seed of his word produces the fruit that God wants it to produce. If you're God's field, you're gonna be verdant if you trust the Lord and draw near to him by faith and listen for his voice. God says, you're God's, you're my building. You're my field. You're my building. God's an excellent architect. He's an excellent builder. And so when we trust in him, uh, he gives us the growth. And the primary means of the growth that God has for us um, is to speak to us. I'm really glad that I'm 54 years old because that means I grew up in the 1970s and I watched excellent commercials in the 1970s. Just saw some excellent commercials. And one of my favorite and most memorable was the commercial for Nestle. Some of you are old enough to remember it, but I'm gonna explain it to you for the rest of you here. Um, If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you saw these commercials and people were always doing really hot, sweaty work. And it was, I guess these commercials rolled out mostly in the summer, I'm not sure. Uh, But people were working hard and they were sweating or they were doing something athletic and getting really hot. And then they would get a refreshing glass of Nestle. Now, 
I think nest tea is gross. Okay. It's instant tea. My mother brewed tea. Thank you. I'm not, don't give me that nest tea. But anyway, the commercial was great. And so they were hot and sweaty and they would grab that glass of, of cold nest tea and they would take a big drink. And then what would happen next? They would fall back into a, they just happened to buy a pool and they would fall back into this pool and they would be so refreshed. And if you watch it, you're like, I am hot. I think I do want tea. It just, it was, it felt refreshing. I want you to know that's actually a really good image for God's ordinary means of grace. God in his sovereign wisdom and his love for his people with his own hands, so to speak, has called out places for you and me to meet with him and to experience his grace and his presence and his strength. And one of those, the focus of today's message is God's own word. We individually and corporately can spend time with God in his word, hearing his voice, being shaped by his love, his covenant promises, his faithful word. And that's God's goal for us. He's investing in us because he wants us to grow. We're the body of Christ. And so he speaks to us as his head. We're God's building, God's household. And so uh, that's what we see in this passage. Um, If you will, I want to move on to uh, the goal of our growth, because this is where all of our anxiety comes out the most. Look with me also there at the bottom of page 11. Um, After saying in Leviticus 19.1, and Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, he goes on, this is what Yahweh says, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, Yahweh, your God am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves gods of cast metal. I am Yahweh your God. And if you're like me, when you hear that phrase, I'm holy, so you be holy, it creates a little <laughs> level of anxiety, maybe a lot of anxiety. How am I gonna do that? God, God wants me to be more holy uh, you, you might be saying in, your, in the quietness of your heart, I've heard that my whole life and it just stresses me out. But I want to look at this, what God is saying here from God's perspective, not from the weakness of our flesh, but from the promise of God's grace and God's purposes. God here is saying, I want you to become like me. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning, God created us in his image to reflect him, to be like him and reflect his glory and his wisdom. And in this passage, God is saying that I want you to become like me, but think about it from this other angle. When God is saying, I want you to become like me, I'm holy, I'm distinct, I'm different. Here's part of what God is saying. You know what the idols of the nations are like? The idols of the nations make men very dehumanizing toward women and other people. I don't want you to be like those idols. I want you to be like me. I'm different from them. God here is saying, I'm actually, I'm actually very good and generous and gracious and kind. And I want you to come and be like me. I'm full of wisdom and love and kindness. I want you to become like me. From one angle, what you can say here is, and we're going to read more of it in Leviticus 19. God is describing the way the world ought to be. He's describing the eventual new heavens and new earth and saying, I want you to be the kind of people who fit that place. And so I'm going to make you those kind of people. Uh, If you think about the New Testament, how the New Testament talks about these things, uh, Jesus tells us that he's the true king 
And we, not individually, but corporately, we are the bride of the true king, Jesus Christ. And what is he doing with his word? He's cleaning up our impurities. He's washing us and changing us and making us different people. Because one day, this is what Jesus says, one day you and I are going to be blameless and faultless and radiant. That's the destiny that King Jesus has for his bride, the church. And so he uses his word to make us eventually faultless and blameless and radiant. That's the destiny he has for his people, for his bride. Bride, God in Leviticus and all through scripture, he's describing human flourishing, the very flourishing that we long for. He's describing the neighborhood we want to live in, where people don't take advantage of each other, where people don't exploit weak and weaknesses where people are generous with what God gives them, where people are kind and don't slander each other. If you're not sure, just if you will flip with me over and finally we'll read this as though it were our only sermon passage here today. It's on page 12 in your worship God, but listen to what it means to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? Uh, Jay Sklar, an Old Testament professor and a a student of Leviticus uh, says that holiness is godliness, being like God in his moral goodness and in his love being like God is being like God in his moral goodness and his love. And then Jay Sklar goes on to say Leviticus 19 covers family life, worship life, business practices, proper treatment of the poor and the disadvantaged courts of law, ritual practices, and social interactions in general. In other words, all of life, Jay Sklar says, holiness is not restricted to religious matters. All of life is a stage in which holiness is to be lived out. So let's read this Leviticus 9 through 18, just part of Leviticus 19. Read along with me. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Oh Lord, help us believe today that you cause us to grow by your word and your gracious presence. Amen. So here you just heard the list of things that were described and it really was all of life, wasn't it? All kinds of relationships, all kinds of activities. Did you hear, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be like God? Well, it means to be generous, other-centered, compassionate, and wise. Think how wise the Old Testament gleaning laws were. They weren't handouts. 
No, you didn't glean all the way to the edge of your field so the poor could come and have the dignity of work and they could uh, get the produce of the field along with you, super wise. Uh, d- does that sound like anyone, any main characters? Can you think of any main characters in the Bible who were uh, remarkably generous, other-centered, compassionate, and wise? See, in a remarkable way, what this passage is telling us is that God is at work to make us like his son. This is what it means to be fully human. Uh, This passage tells us that we're to be upright and honest, godly again, not to exploit the weak. Why don't you curse the deaf? Because they can't hear. You don't take advantage of their weakness. You don't put a stumbling block in front of who? In front of the blind. They can't see it. You don't exploit the weaknesses of others. No, you're other-centered. What you do is you love your neighbor as yourself. Don't take advantage of people in their weakness. Don't slander. Don't stand up against your neighbor. No, treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. Uh, This is what God is describing here. This is the goal of our growth. Here's, what's, here's what I think is remarkable about this if you'll pull these things together with me. Here's what God is saying to his people. I have drawn near to you. I invite you to draw near to me. And now I'm gonna describe what true human flourishing looks like, not just for individual individuals, but for my people. And as we'll see in a minute, God intends to fund that very project. I don't know if you're like me, but I didn't always enjoy those old school family albums. Sorry if that offends anybody, but you know, I liked showing you my family album and you probably like showing me your family album, but I didn't really like looking through Aunt Edna's family album, to be honest. You know, it's always more fun to show yours and to look at somebody else's. Let's just be honest about that. Um, I kind of like the digital age, you know, and we can share pictures with, you know, if I think Josh is really interested in fly fishing, I'll send him a picture of a trout. But if he's not interested in that, I'm not going to send him that picture. And it's kind of nice. But I want you to know that in the Bible, the Bible is like a family album. At the very beginning, you're told that you're God's image. And there's lots of pictures of our fallenness and our sin and our rebellion. But in the end of the biblical story, there's a picture of you. And morally and spiritually, you look just like God. Jesus Christ. It's uh, printed for you there. Romans 8, 29 tells us God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That, that was God's will. God chose in advance to rescue you and to make you be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many siblings. God has acted so that he will have a world filled with people who morally spiritually are like the Lord Jesus Christ, faithful, true. How in the world are we going to live up to that? Uh, You see the means of growth. It's God in his presence speaking his own word. You see the goal of growth. We're to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, a community of health and wisdom, generosity and grace. How in the world are we going to become those people? So see with me the mystery of of our growth. And there it is uh, printed for you in the bottom of page 12. It's from Leviticus 26. I'll be talking a lot more about Leviticus 26 next week, but here's this piece of it. Once again, Yahweh says, I will make my dwelling among you. Here's the mystery of godliness, the mystery of growth. I will make my dwelling among you and I will not reject you. 
and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves and I've broken the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk upright. Here is the mystery of godliness or the mystery of how it is that we're gonna grow. It's God himself among us. You remember, we started like this. God is often speaking from the tabernacle to his people. Yahweh is in the tabernacle. He's in the very holy place. And what happens? Moses comes to the tent of meeting and the voice of Yahweh is coming from in the tabernacle, speaking to Moses and through Moses to the people. But what does John 1.14 say? The word put on our flesh and blood and tabernacled among us. Jesus, the son of God, who is the very eternal word of God came and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled, tabernacled among us, bringing his life and presence to us. And so here, if you just look one more time with me, look down at the bottom of page 13. I wanna draw your attention to Revelation 1, 12 through 13. And here's why John was Jesus' good friend. John, Peter, James, and John were often the three disciples that spent the most time with Jesus. They went with Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had special talks with Jesus. Uh, John and Jesus tend to lean on each other. And uh, John lets us know they had a very special friendship, very special relationship. And uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, his ascension, uh, John was out on an island and he had a vision and he was in the spirit on the first day of the week, the Lord's day. And on that day, he had a vision and he, he saw what's, tr- what's really true, though it was largely invisible to anyone else around him. Uh, the, the heavens were, were pulled back and his eyes were open and he was able to see what's really, really true, even if others couldn't see it. And here's one of the things that John, Jesus' friend, heard. He heard a voice talking about lampstands. And we're told later that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. John's going to have this vision. He's going to hear things and see things. And then he's going to write the vision down. He's going to send it to seven churches. And, And in this passage, we're told that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. And so John hears this voice and he turns around and he sees a very glorious person. They have glorious hair, it's a little terrifying, and a glorious face shining like the sun, and and the feet are impressive, and everything, the eyes of this person are impressive, and John is seeing his own Lord who had given his life for him, and, and this is what he saw. John said, I saw seven golden lampstands, that sounds, that stands for the churches, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. What is John saying? that Jesus is in the midst of his people. The mystery of growth is not just that we can know what God says and know what God is calling to us, but the mystery of growth is that Jesus comes among us himself and empowers us. It's, it's his presence, his grace that transforms us when we trust in him. He is here in our very midst to nourish and change and transform us and make us into the people that God has rescued us to be. This is Sunday, the first day of the week. And here's what I want you to do in light of this being the first day, the beginning of a new week. Remember in the old covenant, God's people worked six days and then they rested, but we don't do that anymore. 
We begin the week in rest and celebration, resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, celebrating his victory over sin, death, and evil, and then are sent out, empowered by him, as we'll say next week, into all things. But today is a day to embrace his presence, even here at his table. Will you pray and join me at the king's table? Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to tabernacle among us. Lord Jesus Christ, eternal word of God, we praise you for addressing us, for using your word to wash us, and for your very presence among us now. We draw near to you by faith that we might experience your gracious presence and your transforming power. Amen.